Time for a Simmer and Gabby podcast. Rob Simpson here and Bruce Boudreaux there. Hey, Gabby. How are you doing today, Rob? Oh, just spectacular. Wearing my Nantucket shirt where I was once a cab driver and a tour bus driver. Yes. Darn darn tootin'. You got to start somewhere, right? That is Mm. correct. Many moons ago. Uh, This is VancouverHockeyInsider.com. Catch us on uh, YouTube at SimmerPuck and also Spotify, Apple, all those other good things for the audio. Um, Gabby, you're wearing your Hershey Cubs sweatshirt. Tell us about the Hershey Cubs real quick here. Well, that's our junior team here. It's uh, If it was Canadian terms, it would probably be between uh, Tier 2, Junior B, uh, and combination of, of, of that kind of stuff. I mean, it's it's mainly for kids that finish high school hockey when we first started this in Minnesota and have nowhere to go. Like, I mean, they play their whole life, and then all of a sudden it's it's over because they're not Division One or Division Three players in the U.S., so... It gives a, a place uh, for kids to play from 17 to, you know, 21. And then an awful lot of them from there go to division three schools. So it's a, uh, it's pretty cool. The, I mean, we got, uh, we got people from all over the world uh, that come here. I mean, uh, we've got a, a player from Israel. As a matter of fact, we've got the Poland. Um, we've got eight kids from Quebec this year. So it's uh it's, it's all over. Mm-hmm. Uh, and your son typically coaches a team, but I understand tomorrow you're running practice. That's a neat little thrill. I got to stay in, got to stay in shape, you know. And uh, uh, but and it's just coincidental that they lost both games this weekend that I'm running practice tomorrow. But uh, that's just maybe a byproduct of of them being a little too cocky because they were like six one and one um, before that, and then they lost two games. So. Uh, we'll we'll see how it goes tomorrow. Uh, we got a heap of feedback from folks, which we'll get to in a second from our last one, but I'm going to start the timer right now. And we can't just do 20-somethings in terms of jersey numbers because we well, we wouldn't necessarily run out. We could repeat, but that's kind of silly to always just do 20. So we're going to do number 10 today. Pick me a number 10. Well, there's an awful lot to pick from and a lot with good reasons, too. I mean, Number 10 was uh, George Armstrong, who was used to be the captain of the Leafs and was my junior coach and probably the most influential uh, person I've met in hockey. Number 10 is also Guy Lafleur, one of the greatest players in the world. And number 10 was also John Anderson, my best friend when I was playing uh, and coaching. So, I mean, uh, all three were number 10s, all three uh, uh, great memories in all of them. And and uh, so it's, it was hard to pick just one. You're piling up the number 10s. I also thought of Alex Del Vecchio, who they called Fats, who played 23 complete seasons with the Detroit Red Wings. But I'm going with Lafleur. Um, there was something exotic about that uh, those old Canadian teams when I was growing up in Anglo-USA and uh, uh, interviewed dozens of Hall of Famers at home and everywhere else and current players. But when I first interviewed Guy, it was the first time, and I was – fully developed as a broadcaster for many years. And I'm standing there at the Bell Center holding the microphone going, he Fleur. It was just, mm-hmm. one of those he was a God. He was just on another level. That, it was unbelievable. And then I got to hang out with him and chat during the 75th anniversary of the Hall of Fame at the Gala, which was pretty cool. There's like a neat little picture with him, but unbelievable. The, the flower. You know, number, number 10 wasn't his original number that he wanted. You know that, eh? Yeah, he was the biggest fan of John Beliveau, but uh, 
I think that number was retired. I'm pretty sure it was. So he had to pick another one. I don't know how he settled on 10, but I do know that he was number four when he played uh, uh, junior hockey. Yep. It's like Gordy Howe. He's number 17 and he changed to nine because he wanted a lower bunk on the train because the lower numbers got, got the lower berths. So there's always something. Bobby Hall wasn't nine either. So there's a lot originally. Let's talk about some of these uh, listeners, viewers, folks that have written in and such. The very last guy had a neat little question for us to get us cranking on the Vancouver Canucks. He said, I'd love to hear Bruce's opinion on Brock Besser's start. Of course, he had a four goal game to get things started. He's added two more, but he just kind of sometimes disappears. This, that's not what he said. He then said, uh, Bruce seemed to have a positive impact initially when he started uh, in Vancouver. So thoughts on Besser and maybe even your relationship. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I think it was a really good relationship. We talked a lot. Uh, um, I, I, it, it all started too. Like, I mean, he knew being from Minnesota and I had just previously coached in Minnesota, you find some similarities or people that you both know that you can talk about. And it ended up as a, as sort of a, a pretty, pretty good relationship. But I mean, listen, his start is fabulous and, uh, and uh, hats off to him. You know, when his first pro game was in Minnesota against me and he scored two goals, I thought, hey, this guy, this guy's going to be a player. And he had an awful lot going on in his life. And sometimes it takes young men um, like Brock, who was really is really close to his family. That takes away from the actual game. And I remember going up to him and telling him, anytime you need time off, anytime we're going to Mini or we're in Mini and you and we're going to another town, if you need an extra day or two to stay here, by all means, you know, family, like one of my biggest thing is family first. So, I mean, it was all about family. Now, uh, and the start of last year, you know, it, uh, again, family was involved, but he also broke his hand. And uh, I think it was... He wanted to play, and then uh, at the same time, they wanted to be really cautious about it, and and they held him out. Uh, trainers held him out longer than he wanted to. Like in all good athletes, they want to play right away. And then things, you know, didn't start out overly too well for, for Brock. And then the next thing I hear, and like everybody else uh, heard, that the uh, management had given uh, his agent permission to seek a trade. So anytime that would happen to a player, like a, I would, I would think that would really affect his play and it affected Brock's play. I mean, um, tried to play him as much as I could to put him in the, in the best, uh, the best light, but I, you, you could really tell that there was other things affecting his play this year. He comes with a clean slate, fresh, uh, you know, uh, fresh mindset, no injuries, and it's no surprise. I mean, it's a surprise anytime anybody scores four goals, but it's not a surprise to me that you have a good start like he's had. Yeah, and it's been a little bit of a roller coaster ride, as you mentioned, and that's a way like him himself, and then also, you know, being shopped. I mean, Jim Benning was trying to move him early on in that uh, season where you replaced Travis Green. And then his father, Duke, passed away at the end of the 2021-22 season. And as you brought up, before last season, he had, that was behind him then. He had the three months with the family in the offseason. He was recovered. He's like, this is my going to be my first 30-goal season. And as you mentioned, he breaks his hand. So maybe now 
He's on en route to a, a 30 goal season. 29 is his career high. That was back when he was a rookie. So we'll see what happens. But 6.6 million is a, a lot of money for Brock Besser, don't we think? Given sometimes he's I mean, here and he's there. It was a lot of money at the time, I think, because his um, uh, qualifying, you had to give him 7.5. And right. so I don't think after the year of that 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 had happened that they wanted to give him that i don't know and so they won't or they like a lot of times you uh negotiate that into multi-year deal with for less money and and both of you uh make out and i think that's what happened this time i mean i don't think they wanted to give i mean i'm speaking not speaking for them but long term it's seven and a half million and but 6.6 seemed uh, uh seemed pretty doable for both sides so Besser pops on the scene 2016-17. He shows up uh, and plays nine games uh, coming out of the University of, of North Dakota. I want to speak uh, about one of his fellow forwards and, of course, current line mate, and that would be J.T. Miller, uh, the center. First of all, in general, a guy that's kind of misunderstood, that's wildly passionate about the game, gets angry, can be what I've described as a little bit pissy at times, but... I mean, the guy's a competitor and he wants to win. Your your thoughts on JT Miller then and now? Well, those are the exact same thoughts that I had. Like, I mean, uh, there was run-ins. He's one of those guys you can argue with, but at the same time, then forget about it five minutes later, go out and do, and do whatever he can. But JT always expects everybody to work as hard as he does. He gets a little more exasperated one way or the other, sometimes when things don't go well for him. And I've seen a lot of players get exasperated when things don't go well for themselves. But, I mean, um, I remember uh, when they were asking me when the summer before he signed, would you take him on your team? And I said, 100%. I mean, I love the guy. He had 99 points, you know. And sometimes he just needs times to, to calm down a little bit. Like, I mean, for example, like, I mean, uh, in the very last game of the year, fourth against Edmonton, he came in with 98 points. He got an assist in the first 10 minutes. He had 99. And I just played him, played him, and played him. And there was one time I didn't play him. And he got all mad on the bench. And then he went and looked at the times and go, oh, geez, I'm playing 25 minutes tonight. So, I mean, it's uh, uh, I guess he is playing me, but he was – he and then he and then he's fine with it. But I mean, he's a, a competitor that you can win with. If everybody's on that kind of page and everybody wanted to compete like JT, you'd have a pretty good team. And you know what? And what people don't realize, like he's the organizer of things. If they have parties at, uh, they have them at his house, Super Bowl parties and everything else. And and he's a he's a team guy like that. I mean, it's just sometimes people misunderstand him for what is uh, a great uh, work ethic and a great uh, a try that uh, they don't, uh, they think he's just uh, bitching and complaining and he's not. And I'll give you another example about JT. The, I mean, at that, that our season, we didn't have um, a great start to penalty killing and JT would be the first one to admit that like he was all over the place and everything else. So one practice, we decided to go with other people and, and it was a PK uh, uh, penalty killing 
uh, special day. And he came up to us and he was mad. He said, listen, he says, I'm part of this penalty killing. I want to be the solution. I don't want to be the problem. Put me out there and let me get it fixed. So that's the kind of guy he is. And and we did. And I think he ended up leading the league in, score, in goals uh, with him and Petey at five each. And I think Bo Horvat had four. So, I mean, um, he is he is he is a guy that I would have on my team all the time. Would a typical argument otherwise be like maybe about like power play or would it be about ice time or just general stuff like that? Well, I don't think he ever complained about ice time, but I mean, he wasn't one of those guys that were stoic and and kept his emotions uh, inside. You could really tell on his face if he was upset or on his face if he was happy. And uh, I mean, you can still watch watch the game the other night when they were losing. You and they show him on the bench all the time because they're looking for for something. And he looked like he was genuinely angry. And and he's not angry other than the fact that he wants to win. So I mean, who doesn't want people that want to win? I think uh, Canucks management uh, understood that. And even though he was twenty nine, they gave him a seven year deal. Yeah. Little transition here to his game. They they won their first two against Edmonton. They were dialed in, and then they lost their next two before winning again. They're three and two on the season. But him against '97, uh, McDavid, he was in his back pocket. He was elbowing him. He was chopping him. He was grabbing him. He was he he was just in his back pocket. Thoughts on that matchup, and how it unfolded, and just the effectiveness of J.T. Miller in a situation like that, and McDavid. We'll get into the abuse factor here in a second, his injury, but kind of how well, that. I'll, I'll, take it, I'll take it a step a little bit further before that. I mean, when I was coaching them, we played the first time we played Colorado, and this is the year they won the cup. Yep. Um, we said, okay, I said, JT, I want you every shift against McKinnon. He comes off, you come off. He goes on, you go on. And I mean, he was all for it. And I mean, we won the game, he shut them down. He was great. Now, some like, I mean, those are things. And that game went well. I mean, because uh, I don't think Jared uh, respected us much, quite frankly. And and he didn't try to get him away from them. They just rolled the line. So it was easy to easy to do. The next game, we tried the same thing. And uh, uh, now we started moving, moving them around. And then with they have the last change, it becomes a little more difficult. But I mean, he he accepted that role and he wanted that role. And that was that was great. And he did the same thing against Edmonton. in the first thing I could picture him going up to talk and going, give me give me McDavid all night. And I'm sure uh, Patterson did that the same thing because they're both that that kind of guy. They want to go against the best. And I mean, he did it and he did it to a T and they won. And I bet you was the happiest one in the room. How did they drop off so much going into going into the next game in Philly. How does that happen? It just happens. It's, it's hockey, man. Like, I mean, you know, I mean, the only team that ever consistently wins all the time is Boston. Um, <laughs> you know, it, you're looking at, if you recall this time or not this time last year, but about in January last year, Detroit was beating everybody and they, they had won seven in a row. Then the next thing you know, they lose nine out of 10. Uh, it's, it's what hockey is. I mean, the only inconsistencies that I have seen so far with the Canucks is is after the first two games they've allowed probably close to 120 shots against or 160 shots against in the last four games and I mean in each one of those games there's been at least one period that's been 
dominant by the other team. And I think once they clean that up and can be a little more consistent, then the, they'll, you know, they're already a good team. They'll be much better. I had two different players admit to me, uh, me asking them on our national talk show on Sirius XM in the morning a, a bit ago, which you're on still these days on occasion. You know, how, how much does a player really give it his all? How much is somewhere in between and, and how much is dogging it, so to speak, or tired or whatever? And I had a couple of different guys just come out and say X players at the time. 20% balls to the wall, 60%, you know, you're playing hockey, you're having a good time, you're in the middle, you're giving it eff good effort. And then 20%, you're just like, I am exhausted right now. I'm just going to, I'm here to play some hockey, but I'm not completely dialed in. 20, 60, 20. Does that sound fair to you? From uh, You know what? I played 18 years and I'm not buying into that. I no. mean, uh, I mean, there was so many games where I wasn't good, but I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember any games that I went in. I said, I don't care what happens today. Like, I'm just going to, as long as I just show up and, and uh, I don't look out of place, then I'm going to be okay. I, I went into every game with the same routine, the same, uh, the same idea of, of pre preparation, uh, no matter if it was three and three or three and two and a half, or uh, if your equipment was soaking wet or if you felt injured. So, I mean, the idea of going in it, getting in it and saying, well, you know what, I just don't feel like playing. I don't care. I, that's never entered me. So I have a hard time believing that that enters anybody's mind, but, uh, um, I have a better, not a better analogy, but Eddie Johnson, famous goalie for the Bruins and, and that when he was my coach in New Brunswick, he, he wanted to tell me the difference between an American league player and an NHL player. And he, he used it that an NHL player out of a 10 game set played eight games to the best of his ability and was at the top form. He had one game where he made no difference whatsoever. And one game where he wasn't good. Doesn't say he didn't care, just said wasn't good. He says an American League player will play six games out of 10, the best of his ability. Two, he'll be just non-factor. And two, he won't be any good. And he said, when you can get up to the eight, one and one, you'll be a regular guy in the NHL. Unfortunately, I must have only gotten to seven because I never made it full time. Yeah. Uh, well, that kind of jives with the numbers, but I, I think to clarify a little bit and give these guys credit that said that that might've been physical. So in other words, it might've not been mental, like, Oh, I don't really, I'm not really into this. It might've been like physically I'm jacked for 20%. Physically I'm 60% of the time. I'm pretty good. And then 20%, I'm just so beat up. I can't, I can't. Well, go. you're, but for the most part, uh, Rob, you're after the 40 game mark of the, the season, you're always playing with some aches and aches and pains. Gordy Howe used to tell me, and I don't want to ancient myself, but he his son played with me uh, in junior, so he was he was in his forties when he was be watching us when we were playing junior, and he'd come in and say, "If I don't see ice bags on some of you guys at the end of the day, then he didn't think we were involved in the play." So I mean, feeling sore and feeling with ice bags on, you knew you competed and you knew you contributed to the win usually. All right, I want to circle back to McDavid and the, and the Miller conversation, but just the physicality. We've now lost McDavid for a week or two. Uh, upper body injury, they're calling it. Wayne Gretzky had Dave Semenko. Then he had Marty McSorley riding shotgun. We know the game has changed, so fights are kind of out of it. You know, the whole concussion issue, even though 
80 to 90% of concussions come from open ice hits, not from fights. Fights don't lead to too many concussions. I know back in the enforcer goon days they did, but not really anymore. It's all, it's all hits that lead to concussions. There's no enforcement. So, and I'm not saying that's the case here with McDavid, but the guy gets abused. The Kraken have a couple guys out of the lineup in Seattle right now from hits from behind or open ice hits to the head. There's no repercussions. It, we're throwing it into the league's lap. Okay, how many, how many, how many games are you going to suspend this guy? Two, three, and will the other guys out six weeks? There is no shotgun. There is none of that. So where does it? It's still a violent game. I mean, as Derek Sanderson, the legendary Turk, played with Bobby Orr in Boston, said, "Hockey's a violent game played by violent people. If you don't like it, watch tennis." Well, it might not be that as violent anymore, but it still is, Gabby. Yeah, it's a violent game. I mean, the hits are hard. The the players are bigger, they go faster, and they're stronger. So hit when they do hit, and um, it's uh, there, there's more impact than there wasn't, you know, a lot of years ago. But uh, uh, you know what? I don't think you need an enforcer uh, to play. I mean, uh, it, it's it's a tough call because I think it's a bad a bag of uh, bag. It's a badge of courage for hockey players to be tough. And if you're one of the best players in the world, you better, you're going to be shadowed. Cause so what are we supposed to do? Let Connor McDavid skate all over the ice and not be touched. You do, you lose. You've got to be into his face. You got to be tight. You got to get two men on him. Every time he touches the puck with him and McKinnon, you know, I mean, you, you have to, you have to be on them. I've had, um, more success against Colorado than I had against Edmonton. But I mean, every time we would have somebody uh, playing above them every time that they were on the ice, like, I mean, you can't let one pass beat uh, three of you. And if you're giving it to McDavid, so you have to sort of um, not even focus as much on offense, but as you know, to make sure that if he doesn't score when he's on the ice, you got a better chance of winning. So, I mean, you got to check them as close as you can. And maybe that's sometimes giving them little jabs in, in the arms and, and being tight on them and, and stuff. But, I mean, you you do it within the rules, but you do it tight. And and uh, you're playing to win, too. Like, I mean, uh, as much as I love watching them as a fan in full flight, I mean, when I was behind the bench, my hair would actually wave when he, when he would – fly by me he's going so fast so you have to do something to stop that if your hair is waving he's going fast he's going fast there was two of them that waved i remember the the two little ones went around my eyebrow (laughs) well there's that you just mentioned being a fan if he's out of the lineup fans don't get to watch him so it's like across the line into when the injuries start and what causes the injuries and i guess how do you prevent the injuries and then it's it's sports injuries happen like, yeah. i mean in, in football guys are getting hurt every day in baseball i've never seen so many injuries in baseball where yeah. guys are going on the ir let alone hockey this is this is what we signed up to do and i'm telling you if you put a waiver in front of anybody that signed up to play professional hockey i don't care what level that uh, uh, you might get hurt and we're not responsible. Every player would still sign that waiver because they want to play and they want to compete. And that's how they grew up competing. Yeah. A couple quick corrections uh, from, I think last week, I mentioned Scott Niedermeyer. It was just a misspeak. I was going through all of his credentials and threw out uh, that he'd won a, a 
Memorial Cup and then said the year and representing Canada. He actually did both on top of a World Championship Stanley Cup and an Olympic gold medal. He won a Kamloops Memorial Cup and a World Juniors. So both of those were handled. Then also we talked about the four cups in the 50s for the Montreal Canadiens. They did win five in a row from 1956 to 1960. Um, just a few minutes left here, Gab. And I want to talk about those Canucks neighbors, uh, the Seattle Kraken. They're missing Andre Burakovsky. This guy seems to get in, injured on a consistent basis. This time it's some probably a collarbone, but it's four to six weeks. They're dinged up again, and they they, they already reduced their scoring capabilities on the fourth line. It was a goals-by-committee situation. They don't have an Elias Petters. They don't have an Nathan McKinnon. This is not... This is something, Ron Francis, at some point, this lovely, you know, everybody buys in team concept is one thing, but you need to score goals. Yeah, they don't even have a Ryan Donato right now. Um, you know, but uh, I think if you look at last year's team, now, listen, I was, uh, uh, you know, like a, they worked so hard and they could skate so well and they were in your face all the time, but their shooting percentage was so much above normal that, I mean, it, it couldn't be sustainable. And right now, I mean, even though they've scored a seven goal game, um, they, they don't have, they're not scoring a lot. And I mean, and I think it's because that there's their, their shooting percentage, they couldn't just keep going what they did last year. I mean, you'd like them to do because they work just as hard. I mean, um, and you'd, you'd think that they could, they could do it, but it just, it's amazing the way uh, hockey guards are. They don't let you do that same thing uh, all the time. And, and when guys come out of the blue and, and score 40 for the first time, you look, oh, wow, shooting percentage was, you know, 20% where the normal is about eight. And it's pretty hard to do that in back-to-back -back years on any of these guys. So, I mean, I think they're going to score more than they've been scoring. And they're probably, even after five games, squeezing the sticks a little bit too tight. But, I mean, I don't think they're going to go at the pace where they were in the top five scoring teams in the league last year. Yeah. Um, as far as Burakovsky, he wasn't there for half the year last year either. So, I mean, it's not like they're really, even though he's a really capable player, it's it's they've played without him before. And, uh, um, Devin, um, you know, uh, Who's Vince? Uh, it's done. Done is having a, a really good start, but I mean he's a really good player, and and I mean I think they need McCann to, to score some more goals, and he's got two I think, and and Eberle and those guys have got to continue uh, scoring. But I mean their shooting percentages were so high last year, it seems very difficult that they would continue to do it at that rate. Yeah, Brandon Tanev's out of the lineup for a while with a head injury, uh, and, but and he's. He's he's a real catalyst. I mean, uh, when he was in Winnipeg or Pittsburgh, uh, uh, you know, like, I mean, he's a third, fourth line guy, but at the same time, he works so hard. He's a pest. He's in your face. I mean, uh, he's, he's a missed player on that team. They've scored less than two goals in every game except the explosion against Carolina, who, by the way, is giving up five goals a game thus far, which is uncharacteristic of the Canes, but they'll fix that. So... Seattle took advantage of that, but otherwise has not scored. By the way, McCann got fed in a fight with Vince Trocek the other night in the third period. 
Um, there's just a lot of little things here as it relates to the Seattle Kraken. We brought up the shooting. You brought up the shooting percentage on one other occasion. So a lot of things kind of working against them and their power play is no good. So they not a good combination. No, their PK has been excellent. Goaltending has been excellent. Man, you have those two things working. Usually you're very good. Yeah, you're hoping to take advantage of it. Well, they have not been taking advantage of it. So that's good news for the other teams in the uh, in the Pacific Division. One last thought before we go. I don't know if you noticed it. You, you brought this team up from last year. They had a spurt. But the Detroit Red Wings have come out of the blocks like gangbusters. I believe they're five and one. They've Just, won five in a row. Stevie, Stevie Y, have, uh, is, has he found uh, enough personnel? Or is he... Where are we? We're giving him an awful lot of credit. I think uh, Derek Lalonde deserves a little bit of more of the credit myself. And I mean, let's see if they last. They got some good players. Like I mean, I don't care. Debrinket. Nobody assumed that he was going to have eight goals after six games. I mean, we knew he was a good player and and everything else. Uh, um, you know, like I mean. David Perron is getting up there, but in age, but I always liked him. I mean, especially when I had him on my team. I mean, they've got a little more balance with Comper, uh, and, you know, they're getting good play from everybody, and everybody's bought in right now. But Detroit's the same team last year that was on a seven game winning streak. They were destined, looking like they're, they were going to put a march right into the playoffs. And I think they lost a big game in Ottawa. And then they lost seven or eight in a row. So, I mean, uh, I don't know if they can sustain what they're doing because they're scoring, defending, but they can really skate. And as long as they, uh, you know, don't go into a, uh, get too many injuries where they can't com compete at that level again, I, I think they're going to be there for a long time. Whether they make the playoffs or not, I don't know, but I think they'll be around till April um, uh and stay in the race and good for them. I think the NHL needs a team like Detroit, an original six team to be good. And uh, they're one of the, one of the teams that everybody has, they have a lot of travelers whenever they go on the road. So it's, it's good to know they have a lot of fans in Michigan. Wing nuts. They call them, they show up everywhere. Um, Alex Dermenka, by the way, from Farmington Hills, right outside of Detroit. I think he's very, very comfortable wearing the winged wheel. I think he's happy in his new uh, environment. There's no question about that. So good for him because I remember seeing him at, uh, coincidentally or ironically at the Traverse City Rookie Tournament. I think you might have been there that year as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When he won the MVP of that tournament and just could score from anywhere and could shoot from any angle and through anything and was very dynamic. So maybe he's grown up and found his found his place. I'm uh, sure I said that your eyes ah, too small. He'll never make it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, outstanding, Gabby. I appreciate it. Uh, VancouverHockeyInsider.com. People can also check out SeattleHockeyInsider.com. You can catch us on all the Spotify's and the Apple's and the Amazon's. And of course, on uh, uh, YouTube at SimmerPuck. We love your comments. We had some great ones last week. Tons of thumbs up from dozens of people. And we look forward to chatting with you again. Gabby, good luck at uh, Hershey Cubs practice tomorrow. Yeah, I'll see if my body can still handle it. I'm I'm hoping it can, but uh, uh, you know those kids they don't look like the NHL players do. You got to look all over you so they don't run you from behind. <laughs> He's Bruce Boudreau. I'm Rob Simpson. It's Gabby and Simmer. We'll see you next time. Cheers. Yeah.